Christians do not live lives that are completely free of error. They make mistakes. Sometimes they make far too many mistakes. And part of the maturing in Christ is to learn how to avoid mistakes, to learn from the mistakes we make and avoid repeating them. It's said that a wise person learns from his own mistakes, but an even wiser person can learn from the mistakes of others. And there are four common mistakes, common errors that Christians make, four mistakes that could be avoided if they understood the Bible better, if they could look at the lives of others, champions of the faith who went before us, and see the mistakes they made, perhaps we could learn to avoid them. Those four common mistakes are, number one, they let fleshly desire overrule God's will in their lives. Number two, they sometimes listen to the wrong counselors. Number three, they blame others for the things that they bring on themselves. And number four, they shirk responsibility for the sake of peace. We'll talk about each one of these four mistakes today. We're going to look at the life of one of the great notables of the Old Testament, Abraham. In Romans 4.16, he's called the father of the faithful. And yes, he was a faithful man, but he made mistakes. And we can learn from the mistakes of Abraham. And perhaps we can learn to avoid those mistakes. Abraham is known throughout the scriptures as a man of faith. There's references to that in Galatians, the third chapter, and the ninth verse. And in Hebrews, the eleventh chapter, and the eighth verse. But Abraham committed these four common errors. Abraham did not need a lifetime to make these four mistakes. He made all four of them in a very short period of time. All four of them are recorded in the 16th chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, I don't say that these are stupid mistakes. From God's perspective, they're certainly foolish. But from Abraham's perspective, in the problems and the difficulties of life that he was facing at that time, his actions seem to be reasonable and plausible to him. And the same thing happens to us so many times. We make mistakes in our dealings with the uncertainties of life. After it's over, we can sometimes look back and say our decisions were foolish. But at the time we made them, it seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed so logical. But we need to be able to avoid wrong decisions. And that would be better than just recognizing them after the fact. But in Genesis, the 16th chapter, verse 1 says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. Sarah was barren. That was a grievous condition for her. In her culture, in her time some 4,000 years ago, barrenness in a married woman was seen as a curse. This caused Sarah to be suffering emotional pain. Her marriage was unhappy as a result. At this time in Genesis 16, she's 75 years old. Her inability to conceive a child was a torment that she had lived with for a long, long time. And now it was medically impossible for her to bear a child. Sometimes humans cook up schemes to remedy problems, but those schemes sometimes are far worse than the problem was itself. And both Abraham and Sarah committed the first common error I mentioned. 
they let fleshly desire overrule good sense. In this situation, Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2, says that Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. But she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. See, Sarah wanted a child so bad that she proposed that Abraham take a second wife and have a child through her. Today we would call that surrogate motherhood, but there was no clean, aseptic way to do that 4,000 years ago. Abraham had to take a second wife. And that was a common practice among the heathen in the land of Canaan at that time. But it wasn't God's plan. When God created Adam and gave him a wife, he only gave him one, Eve. Polygamy was not part of God's intended plan for his people. In fact, Malachi, in the second chapter of Malachi, in verses 14 and 15, speaks against polygamy. Monogamy, one wife for one husband, was designed to preserve a godly seed. But polygamy and surrogate motherhood were accepted practices among the heathen in the land where Abraham and Sarah lived. Sarah's proposal would not have even raised an eyebrow at that time in that part of the world. Nonetheless, they should never have come up with that scheme. They let fleshly desire overrule their own good sense. They were abandoning their faith in God's promises. Because earlier, back in the 13th chapter of Genesis, in verse 16, God promised Abraham a seed, that he would make his seed as the dust of the earth that could not be numbered. And also in the 15th chapter, in the first six verses, God again confirmed his promise that Abraham was going to have seed. And the scripture said that Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it unto him for righteousness. But by the 16th chapter, fleshly desire was overruling good sense. Sarah was frustrated and desperate, and many times when people are desperate and frustrated, they do strange things. Has desperation ever driven any of your decisions? For example, a young person seeking a spouse might get desperate and take just anyone rather than waiting for the boy or the girl that God wants them to have. Men and women are driven to sin by desperation or boredom and what we call a midlife crisis. And in Genesis 16, Sarah wanted a child so bad, she wanted this surrogate child, that she proposed this scheme that Abraham go unto this servant girl. And Abraham conceded to his fleshly desires too. He was an old man, marrying a young, shapely wife with the intent of having relations to produce a child. In Genesis 16, verse 2, the end of the verse says, And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. He gave in to his desires. And in verse 3 and 4, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. She became pregnant. But Hagar's pregnancy did not bring peace 
nor happiness. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Something changed in the character of that home. It wasn't just Abraham and Sarah anymore. It was Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. The relationship of Sarah and Hagar changed, and the relationship of Abraham and Sarah lost something very valuable. Unfaithfulness to your spouse today cannot produce happiness. Sometimes there can be forgiveness and even reconciliation, but it's almost impossible to restore the trust and closeness in the relationship that existed in the time when it was an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. But the problem here was that Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now, husbands, you should listen to your wives. And wives, you should listen to your husbands, except when the counsel of your spouse violates the word of God. It was God who had spoken to Abraham, not to Sarah, but he told Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees. God told Abraham, not Sarah, that he was going to have children. How is it that Abraham could think Sarah knew more about the will of God than he did? How is it he could listen to her counsel? But today, many Christians make the second mistake. They listen to the wrong counselors. This is especially true when they're wanting to act outside the will of God. Then they ask and receive advice from friends who are weak in the faith or from those that are completely outside the church. Fallen men and women seek advice from those who will tell them what they want to hear instead of from those who will tell them what they need to hear. But Psalms 1 and verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. As children of the Lord, we're not to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Now, there can be good counsel. Please don't misunderstand me. There can be wise counsel, and we should seek good counsel. Proverbs, the 12th chapter, and the 15th verse says, He that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And we should seek counsel from godly men and godly women. Proverbs 20 and verse 5 Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. But Abraham got in trouble. He made the mistake of listening to the wrong counselor. He should have refused Sarah's suggestion. He should have reminded her of God's promises. And yet he gave in. And Sarah then made the third common mistake. She blamed others. In Genesis 16, verses 4 and 5, it says that Abraham went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid to thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Now, neither Abraham nor Sarah recognized their own fault in this situation. Each sought someone else to blame. And that's human nature. Most people do. Very few people can ever say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. But every error, every mistake,
people make had to be somebody else's fault. They looked for someone else to blame. And in this case, Hagar, the Egyptian, had been elevated from slave to second wife. And as second wife, she no longer treated Sarah with the same honor and respect that a slave had to have toward her mistress. After all, Hagar was able to conceive. And in that day and time, that was a sign of God's blessing. Hagar had the blessing, and Sarah did not. And things didn't work out the way Sarah thought they would. Things never do work out the way we expect them to if we violate the will of God. So what did Sarah do? She blamed Abraham. Verse 5, my fault be upon thee. Said, it's your fault, Abraham. And Abraham could have just as well blamed Sarah. But they were both at fault. They failed to trust God. It's a mistake to blame others for the things that we bring on ourselves. But it happens even in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve transgressed and ate the fruit of the forbidden tree. When the Lord asked Adam what he had done. Adam blamed Eve. He said, my wife gave it to me and I ate. Then he asked Eve about this. Eve blamed the serpent. Humans are like that. We always blame someone else. But Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that we're not to try to find motes in the eyes of others when we have a beam in our own eye. What he meant was don't look for a microscopic fault in someone else's life when you've got such huge problems in your own. Don't try to blame others. It's a sign of Christian maturity to accept responsibility for your own faults. King David was maturing very fast in the Lord. Oh, he made faults. He made mistakes. One time he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was the wife of another man. She was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And when the problem came to light because Bathsheba became pregnant, from the adultery with David. David tried to come up with schemes to remove Uriah the Hittite. And that didn't work, so David eventually had Uriah killed. He conspired to commit murder so that he could marry Bathsheba. And Bathsheba brought forth a child, and that child died under the judgment of God. When this happened, the prophet Nathan came to David pointed out the sins in his life. And David could have blamed others. He could have said it was somebody else's fault. It was Bathsheba's fault. It was whatever. But in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 7, Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. And when David's sin was pointed out to him, in verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He accepted responsibility. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He didn't blame anybody else. But in Genesis 16, in the life of Sarah and Abraham, at that point, in their family crisis, Abraham could have taken charge of the situation. He should have implemented godly principles in his home that would have diffused and resolved the problems. After all, as the husband, he was to be the head of his home. Abraham 
should have accepted responsibility for the wrong that brought on the situation. He should have said it was his fault for letting this thing happen. He should have never consented to this scheme in the first place. He should have asked Sarah to forgive him first. And next, he should have told Sarah that she was at fault, too. She brought it on herself. It was her idea. And as head of the home, Abraham should have told Hagar that she should have never been put in the position of second wife. But now that she was, she still had to treat Sarah with the respect and with the honor that Sarah was due. Abraham should have administered righteousness in his home. But instead, he committed yet one more mistake. He committed the fourth error we've mentioned. He shirked his responsibility for the sake of peace. Basically, Abraham told Sarah, do whatever you think is right, dear. In Genesis 16 and verse 6, But Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. Shirking his responsibility was wrong. In fact, Hagar suffered for it. Sarah dealt harder with her. And Hagar fled from her face. But it got Sarah off Abraham's back. She was blaming him for what was wrong. The fault be on you. You're the one. The Lord's judge between me and thee. You have more fault in this than I do. And she was nagging him about this problem that Hagar was not treating her right. She was despised in Hagar's eyes, and finally Abraham gave in, said, you do whatever you want to do. And she dealt very harshly, probably beat Hagar. And Hagar had to flee. It got Sarah off Abraham's back. It brought him a little peace. But any peace that's purchased at the cost of shirking your duty is neither valuable nor lasting. You must do your duty, even if it costs you. If you have a responsibility and a duty to perform, you must perform it. You cannot shirk your responsibilities in an effort to gain peace. There was a time when the Jews were slated for destruction in the land of Persia by the hand of Haman. And there was a Jewish maiden who was the queen of the court of Persia. Her name was Esther. Her book is in the Bible. And Esther could have kept quiet as the queen. She would have been spared from the decree that was going to destroy her people. But she had a duty. She had an obligation to speak up for her people. And the only way she could do so was to go unbidden into the very presence of the king. And under the laws of Persia, any person who went unbidden into the king's presence was slain unless the king had mercy on them and extended his scepter to that person. And Esther could have died walking into the king's presence without permission. But it didn't matter. She had a duty to go before the king and plead for the lives of her people. In the fourth chapter of the book of Esther, her uncle Mordecai told her, If you hold your peace at this time, then there shall be deliverance to the Jews from another place that you'll be destroyed. And who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And in 
said, I will go before the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. If he did her duty, she would not take it. Abraham took his duty, and it brought all kinds of headache and heartache to his home. In five verses, Genesis 16, 2 through 6, Abraham committed all four of these common mistakes. He had fleshly desire over ruling God's will for his life and living under Hagar. He listened to the wrong person who listened to his wife's counsel instead of fulfilling the will of the Lord. And when things went wrong, he blamed others for that which he brought on himself. And finally, he shook his responsibility for the sake of peace. Now, please note that there are no mistakes from God's point of view. Everything that happens is according to his plan. Everything's either his direct will or it's something he allows. And Abraham's mistakes were part of the process that the Lord was taking him through to mature him. Abraham learned to trust the Lord because he got into trouble whenever he failed to believe God. But mistakes have consequences. And in Abraham's case, there were major consequences that continue to trouble his family even until today. And if you cannot handle the consequences, don't make the mistakes. In Genesis 16, verses 7 through 12, you read about Hagar and how she fled, and the angel of the Lord told her to return back. The angel told Hagar, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. In verse 10, it shall not be numbered for the multitude. She named her son Ishmael. He was a wild man. His hand will be against every man. Every man's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Verse 12. And Ishmael, this wild man, is the progenitor of the modern Arab nation. The Jewish people descended through the promised seed, Isaac. But the Arabs descended through the child of the bond woman, of Hagar, the Ishmaelites, the Arabs. And the current trouble in the Middle East, the bloodshed between the Jews and the Arabs, the hatred, the animosity, is continuing even now. It's a continuing result of Abraham's mistakes. If he had not let fleshly desire interfere with his own good judgment, he would have never gone in to Hagar and produced Ishmael. If he had not listened to the words of his wife, instead of trusting God's promise, the consequences would have not continued to today. But these mistakes continue to plague the people. Blaming others and taking his responsibility didn't help anything. But despite every one of his mistakes, God saved Abraham. We came up with this crazy scheme in the first place because we didn't believe God. God saved. Abraham did not die without a God. Sarah did not die as a schemer. But they died with their faith in God in faith. In the 11th chapter, 
Thank you. 